welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis and I are two patriarchs of rival Italian clans, and we're writing scathing letters to each other, but having some trouble layering the threats among the compliments. Exactly. So to practice our cleverness, we are issuing a challenge. Each week, you sit down and write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. Then um, on this podcast, we read the story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you wonderful listeners. That is Zach DeMundo. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. Doof a Media doof produced media it. Production. Hey, post-Thanksgiving, we're full and we all gained 10 more pounds. How are we doing? I'm on drugs. <clears throat> oh. What what kind? I'm back on my antidepressants after coming oh, off of them nice. in a in a bad idea uh for a bit. Okay, so like so like do you think you've seen any benefits? Yeah, I only need I only need 6 hours of sleep now. Wow. So you're almost like a superhuman. Well, compared to my past self, definitely. I I I normally require like 12 to feel at all awake. Um <laughs> So that's a pretty significant jump in in the amount wait, of time wait. I have so per day. You, so you went from from twelve hours to, to six. six hours. Yeah. So if you take two pills, will you not need any sleep? No, I think it just halves again. So in that case, I would need three hours. Okay. So if you take three, then you only need one and a half hours. Right. A right. fourth that'll be forty-five minutes. Right. You could keep doing the math if you want. So I guess like if you took like ten, you would you would at least have to sleep like one minute per day. But still, you can get so much done mm-hmm. during that day. Like like for instance, you could uh, do the right thing. Uh, yeah, I could do time. you. You could do the right thing. Um, what forty-eight times? Forty-eight times. Um, basically, well, forty-seven because you'd have to round down because it wouldn't be a complete true, attempt. True. You have to take out mm. that that one minute that you do need for us sleep so it'll be like 40 42 is 42 is i what huh wait so one minute that you need sleep how many what because okay so you need one minute to to sleep but right? i'm also like i am also taking into consideration the the time that it takes for you to lay down to to get to sleep to wake back up so okay so we went from 48 to 40 to what 40 or 42 is what you said 42 so 42 so that's which means i am i am putting in about four hours that's three hours hours, just to get ready for bed is what you're saying for for one minute for one minute sleep also you well i mean that's to get ready for bed and to get ready for the 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 that's also shower right that's also brushing the teeth I think all that takes about three hours. <laughs> I mean, that that's how long you're supposed to brush your teeth. You're supposed to brush your teeth for <laughs> at least two hours every day. Brush it until you, like, start to, like, see that, like, red coating inside of your tooth. Okay. For, I, I don't like this. Let's move on. I don't like teeth. Um, what, are, what were the words this week, Jarvis? So the words for this week were pawn, secular, bronze, and trustee. So really great words for uh, this week. And I saw that we did have a... Uh, couple of chess stories which definitely warns my heart yeah i thought they were really really cool especially because i just watched the the queen's gambit very good tv show i um i have yet to like watch it but people tell me that it's like really really good it's well done and the lead is very very cute and <laughs> so is one of her love interests only one of them though played by thomas Brody sangster who is 30 he's 30 and he still looks like a child Ooh. um i wonder how he feels about that um, but he, mm. uh, he, he has like a, like a mustache in this one and it's very good and they're very cute together. Well, also for this week, uh, we are going to be talking about reveals. Um, yeah. So exactly. the, the story sent in this week were reveals, um, and we're going to be issuing a, a new challenge this week, um, coming from this week's story, which is the cask of Amontillado by also by Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. We have, we have read a lot of Poe's stories. A whole two so, so Poe far. stories. Well, I mean, Hey, we have, we have read more of his stories than any other author that's that, true that we have read yeah and by one you definition of average uh the average story we read on uh this podcast is a post story mm-hmm. yeah so is there anything else we we need to know before rolling on into the cast of amontillado um no um I originally read the story back in in high school as one of the the assigned readings, which is, is really mm-hmm. amusing how how many stories we read about murder and things like that for school. 
Uh, not that there's anything wrong <laughs> with that. I just I just find that amusing that so many stories are just about murder. Question, question. Did you read this sophomore year? Uh, I cannot remember. Okay, because because uh, I know that, that I did, and everyone else that I have talked to has said the exact same thing. It's something about, about sophomore year and reading about murder that just goes hand in hand. Well, reading about murder, speaking of, um, did you ever read In Cold Blood? No, I haven't. So In Cold Blood by Truman Capote uh, is uh, about this, this brutal murder that these two, two guys did in this small, um, I think, Kansas town, I think. Um, that he went read and uh, that he investigated and, and reported on afterwards but, and, and he you know writes the whole book from the perspective of the of the murderers but also everyone else in the town and sort of like slowly builds up to the to the murder part and then when mm-hmm. he goes to the murder party like really goes into detail about what happens like with mm, a shotgun nice. like blowing people apart and stuff so yeah, yeah uh we read that for school which was neat you, so so you read this gruesome bloody murder yeah in school wow it's a good book i mean it sounds great i just don't know how they got past the like a uh, school board yeah um you know what we should read in in high school what lolita Ooh, i think that would give should. that would be a really good Okay, I'm not. I'm not gonna finish my my, my thought. It's <laughs> it's a joke. I'm sorry. I just that would no, be really bad. <laughs> you have to finish the joke. No, I'm good. Thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> see, see, I was here waiting to like laugh. You know, you you brought up Lolita, one of the most uncomfortable books I've ever read. I've never I read it. Ready. I just know, I just know what the what the details are. And you I, should. I feel like everyone <laughs> does. People say that that. It is well written. I say it is gross. They're yes. perverts. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, let's get into uh, the story. This is the, the Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. All right. Can't wait to hear it. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best as I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that gave utterance to a threat. At length I would be avenged. This was a point definitely settled. But the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as to such as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. I continued, as was my inn, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile was now to the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity, to practice imposture upon the British and Austrian millionaires. In painting and gemmary, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack. But in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. I said to him, "'My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met.' How remarkably well you are looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. How? said he. Amontillado? A pipe? Impossible. And in the middle of carnival? I have my doubts, I replied. And I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado! I have my doubts. Amontillado! And I must satisfy them. Amontillado! As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucreci. 
If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me. Lucrezia cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. No, my friend, no. I will not oppose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucrezia, I have no engagement. Come. My friend, no. It is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults were insufferably damp. They were encrusted with nitre. Let us go, nonetheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado, you have been imposed upon. And as for Lucrezia, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm, and putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a rocalaire closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning, and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led down into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent, and stood together upon the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montressors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he restrode. The pipe, he said. It is further on, I said I, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned toward me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distill the room of intoxication. Nitra? he asked at length. Nitra, I replied. How long have you had that cough? <coughs> my poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It is nothing, said he at last. Come, I said with decision. We will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy, as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me it is no matter. We will go back. You will be ill, and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucrezia. Enough, he said. The cough is a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true, I replied. And indeed, I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, but you should use all proper caution. A draught of this medoc will defend us from the damps. Here I knocked off the neck of a bottle which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mould. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly, but while his bells jingled. I drink, he said, to the berry that repose around us. And I drink to your long life. He again took my arm and we proceeded. These vaults, he said, are extensive. The Montressors, I replied, were a great and numerous family. I forget your arms. A human foot d'or in a field azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto? Nemo me impune lacessit. Good, he said. The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the medoc. We had passed through long walls of piled skeletons with casks and puncheons intermingling into the innermost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to see Fortunato by an arm above the elbow. The nitra, I said. See, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle down among the bones. Let us go on. But first, another draught of the medoc. I broke and reached him a flagon of de grave. He emptied it at a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upwards with, with a gesticulation I did not understand. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend? He said. Not I, I replied. Then you are not of the Brotherhood. How? You are not of the Masons. Yes, yes, I said. Yes, yes. You? 
Impossible. A mason. A mason, I replied. A sign, he said. A sign. It is this, I answered, producing from beneath the folds of my roquelaire a trowel. <laughs> you jest, he exclaimed, recoiling a few paces. But let us proceed to the Amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath the cloak and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route and in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, and descending again, arrived at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt there appeared another less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains, piled to the vault overhead, in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of the interior were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth side, the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still interior crypt or recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no special use within itself, but formed merely the interval between two of the colossal supports of the roofs of the catacombs, and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain that Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavored to pry into the depth of the recess. Its termination the feeble light did not enable us to see. Proceed, I said, herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucrezia, he is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend, as he stepped unsteadily forward, while I followed immediately at his heels. In niche, and finding an instant he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress arrested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples, distant from each other by about two feet, horizontally. From one of these the suspended a short chain, from the other a padlock. Throwing the, chain, throwing the links about his waist, it was the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was much too astounded to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said, over the wall. You cannot help feeling the nitre. Indeed, it is very damp. What's more, let me implore you to return. No? Then I must positively leave you, but I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. The Amontillado, ejaculated my friend, not yet recovered from his astonishment. True, I replied. The Amontillado. As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones of which I had before spoken. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials, and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had, in a great measure, worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was the low, moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth. And then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes, during which, that I might hearken to it with more satisfaction, I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon a level with my breast. I again paused, holding the flambeau over the mason work, throwing a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and shrill screams, bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form, seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment I hesitated. I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed. I aided. I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamorer grew still. It was now midnight, and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth tier. I had finished a portion of the last and the eleventh. There remained by a single stone to be fitted and plastered in.
I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position. Now there came out from the niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognizing as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, Ha 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 A very good joke, indeed. An excellent jest. We will have many a rich laugh about it at the palazzo. Ha <laughs> ha Over our wine. <laughs> the Amontillado. The Amontillado, I said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Amontillado. But is it not getting late? Will they not be waiting us at the palazzo, the Lady Fortunato and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes, I said. Let us be gone. For the love of God, Montresor. Yes, I said. For the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato! No answer. I called again, Fortunato! No answer still. I thrust a torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick. It was the dampness of the catacombs that made it so. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century, no mortal has disturbed them. In pace requiescat. Wow, wow, wow. So, of course, this is a this is a fantastic story, and there's a really good reason why uh, almost everyone knows of this story. I mean, it is a very sim- simplistic uh, revenge story. It gives us every side of the story. There's great irony. There is great dread within uh, Fortunato, especially towards the end. And, I mean, through and through, it's a very condensed story that lends itself to to stepping in, giving you this this moment, giving you this saddening feeling, and then leaving as quickly as it comes. Yeah, um, what I really like about it is that they're, it tells you that he's going to take revenge. We're going down into these crypts, and we just just the we fact know. that it's it's crypts with with bones and everything. We we <laughs> know that this is where the terrible deed is going to hap- happen. We don't know how. The first sign of of the how is with the the trowel, uh, but even then. That you know that could just be he happens to hold one for some reason you know we don't actually know I, I I mean the there's a reason for it in the moment that it's a sign of him being a part of the Masons and it's not until he starts he and not until he's chained there um, that we we fully understand what's going to be happening down here and there's a lot of the elements of the story that d- just somehow make it worse I mean just the fact that um uh, Fortunato is dressed as a jester for me that that just makes it so much worse. Well, I I think that just makes it a little bit more sad that the fact that he's he's dressed so merrily and he doesn't really have a chance. He's so like drunk and well. Also, I don't know. I like going into the story. I think Fortunato's kind of dumb because yes, of of course he isn't the one that that put himself down there. But you'd never be the first person to get drunk at any party. That's just party <laughs> one hundred and one. I mean, come. Um, yeah, it's uh. Well, he just really wanted to have the Amontillado, right? But yeah, he's he's. <laughs> It's really unfortunate that he's so so drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like how the way that the story really folds out is that uh, the main character isn't exactly doing too much um, to sort of push this this forward. I mean, he's using Fortunato's uh, love of, of wine simply to caress him through. I mean, as, as soon as he's in there, I, I feel that there are these these sort of subtle moments where 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 it almost feels like the the main character might stop that 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 they might not follow through only to at the end him build the entire wall and just have one lone stone left there's there's many moments to turn back and he doesn't take them and i mean i mean he 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 could have turned back and and played it off as a as a joke right like uh, like he did i mean I, i i think that last moment is like definitely not like he could not play off building the entire wall he would the the guy would have definitely thought of it as an actual like murder attempt but think um, about no matter how what. hilarious that would be afterwards <laughs> but but uh, sometime before then you know mm-hmm. like after laying like the first tier and he's just like just kidding uh this is revenge for um for that one time you insulted me you bastard um don't insult me again honestly i think like 
the 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 moment that it could have maybe still been a joke is when they chained him to that stone. I think at at that point it's already a little too too far, but there could be some 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 razzing going on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, like as you said, him him saying how, oh, this is a very good joke at the uh, very end was not him actually ad- admitting that that is funny whatsoever, but mm-hmm. him knowing where he is and what is about to, to happen and trying anything to really uh, get out of that situation. But I'm actually unsure about the ending. Does he die mm-hmm. before he finishes the wall? No, or, no he just, or he gives just falls up. silence. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of like denying him some of the, some of the happiness of, of hearing the last, like, begging moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of a whole thing with him. He doesn't really... He, there's only, like, one moment where he, like, pleads with him. Um, where he says, uh, by the glory of God, right? Or for the love of yeah. God. Um, that's just, like, a final final pleading. And he's like, yeah, yeah, for the glory of God. <laughs> fucking die. <laughs> um, I, I wonder what he said to make him so mad. And, and you could kind of, uh, yeah, that, it's just an insult, right? And the, but, but, right, the coat of arms for the for the family is a foot stamping on a, on a, a serpent, right, with the serpent mm-hmm. biting the heel. And I'm pretty sure that the the, um, the saying is something like we will uh, always return an insult, kind of something something like that. Mm, um, yeah. Or always have a retribution. Anyway, yeah. So so I think it's that 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 creeping sort of building of 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 tension and uh, mm-hmm. through the dramatic irony of knowing the intention of Montressor and knowing how like gullible uh, Fortunato is is being as he's let down in here yeah definitely and i think one of the most effective parts about this story when it does come to to building that that tension is that throughout there are moments where, where tension is released just a a bit even with us knowing exactly where the story is going, something that was does really well done with with the tension is that it is released periodically, so that we aren't like sort of hovering at the same tone throughout, to where mm-hmm. thus we would get disinterested. But there is a nice back and forth. There are different levels of um, tension that we are really going through, so that as so that as soon as he is chained up as soon as as this wall starts to to get built everything leading leading up to that moment just starts to really skyrocket up until uh he is pleading for his his life and i think that's like one of the one of the biggest reasons why this story is so effective i mean first and foremost people love revenge stories i don't know why but people just really love others getting their comeuppance beyond that it's just ripe with this really with this really palpable tension um yeah so so the challenge this week is to write a revenge story um so consider taking notes from this one um yeah you had there's a lot of opportunities for a revenge story obviously mm-hmm. it's just the, the the main part is someone having a motivation to end someone else mm-hmm. um in in retribution for something else and um, also if you if you don't know anything about re revenge stories if you haven't seen movies or like read books <laughs> just in general ever go and watch taken one two and three uh that's all yeah, that's the required reading for this week yeah uh, that's it. I mean, Liam Liam Neeson talking talking in to that phone saying he has a a special set of skills. That's going to be on my tombstone because that is revolutionary. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So <laughs> that's uh, that's the challenge for this week, right? It's some sort of re- revenge story. You know, take notes from the Casca of Amontillado. Maybe uh, have that unsuspecting. It, the emphasis here is not necessarily like any revenge story, but more of this unsuspecting revenge. But you can take yeah. it however you want. Um, and also, you know, uh, keep in mind that it doesn't have to be murder. You know, there are there there are there are multiple facets when it comes to revenge. So try your best to kind of figure out what revenge is to you. In the movie The Help, when the one, the, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Where, uh, where one of the, the one pod. of the women, um, takes revenge against the her employer. I guess it's the, mm-hmm. uh, it makes her eat shit. Uh, it's really great. But but I'm a, I'm gonna be honest. 
she was really liking that pie at first. It probably tasted, it was probably like a good pie. She's, yeah, she, she like, probably, probably made like, it really well. It's probably just like mixed in there and you, you wouldn't be able to tell. So. <laughs> well, all right. That is enough. <laughs> that that is a, a enough chit chat about this week's story. As we said be, before, next week, please write your story that involves revenge. But it is high time to get into a to get into our listener submitted story section. So, as you know, we we are going to spoil all of these stories so much. So if you if you haven't read them, please pause after we announce them. Go read them and then come on back so that we can talk about them. All right, who are we uh, talking about this week? Stories this week are by Words on the Wind, Nick to You, No Goodbye, and Matt Said Words. Yeah, thanks for submitting y'all this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our It's not a dig. Fir- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest, that that sounded pretty pretty diggy, but all right. It's okay. <laughs> um, but we, we will welcome any 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 uh, more submitters for sure. Mm-hmm, most definitely. Well, all right. First story for this week is by Words on the Wind with Losing Gold. Uh, so this story, um, it, it's it's a quite a emphasis on a like a more poetic story. Uh, the mm-hmm. first line is, "In a sense, I know you as you know yourself," and so this is sort of a riddle as we sort of figure out who this who and what this perspective is. Um, this perspective. Um, watches uh you and uh it only existed with you right with the second person and it can only see um the you through like windows and doors um and uh this character used to play chess a lot uh but um has the saying of like you don't win silver you lose gold and so there's this idea of like only perfection is is worth anything um, everything else is is an insult. That's sort of what this thing is. It says declares that it is perfection. And uh, then we see a scene where where it goes to the bank. It doesn't really matter that it's at the bank. What matters is that we see a, a view of a mirror. And for a moment, it is infinite. There's a copy um, that the the mirror is a window to another copy of of this world and another. Um, another eye uh, stretching out forever in both directions. You know, the infinity mirror kind of thing. Um, perspective when you when you go into a place with with mirrors on both sides all those reflections are we they're they are all perfection um but they they get slightly less perfect as as they go into these alternate sort of versions until there's finally a version where they've made every wrong choice and and suffered terribly and there's no nothing in the other direction because they are perfection uh they're the 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 you is looking into the mirror and the eye uh, just a little it smiles just a little bit wider and winks and then disappears again so so that's a, it's a little bit of um intentionally you know confusing mm-hmm. uh perspective i i i think it might be literal that that it is perfection that it is a, a perfect reflection um i'm not entirely sure though because you know um words on the wind t- talks about it being a puzzle and so i wonder if like you know this is sort of uh there's there's another answer in here yeah, definitely, definitely. But I mean, honestly, I really did like this this story. Um, going going into it, I was definitely taken by a a lot of the language used, but definitely in the first half, I was having a hard time trying to trying to figure out where we were, which is why when we were placed in the bank, it the uh, the story just really came t- together. Um, and I think one of the strongest driving forces of of this story is, you know, you constantly questioning, well, 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 what is this? It is it is perfection. It is mirror. And and then even at the end, we aren't given a definite answer. So I think this story is definitely one of those that do kind of take a bit more digging into to um, try and, and find all of these different pieces of, of this puzzle. Overall, it is really well written. I, do, I did like the reveal because it wasn't going where, where I thought it was, but I do like how the story ended up. So really great job. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the, the, the puzzling aspect of that. I was definitely like, uh, enamored with this sort of, it, you know, the, the reflection kind of feels a little bit more spooky, not necessarily mm-hmm. sinister. Um, but, uh, definitely has a, has a perspective that I, I was worried about. Um, yeah. The only thing is you're just wondering, 
um, there's sort of an imp- implication that it is something more sinister, and I wasn't sure like what the um, consequences of something like that would be. Um, but yeah, I was very interested in, in reading this one, so good job, Words on the Wind. Mm-hmm. Great job. Well, all right, next is by Nick Yu with Visitors. <clears throat> so we have this bar, and, and the perspective is from a bartender. It's a, it's a quiet night when two very finely dressed women come in in very nice clothes, sort of extremely out of place because they're so, you know, fancy and well-dressed. And they are not accompanied by, by anyone, which in this place is sort of like medieval uh, places, sort of the, the implication. Um, normally women are, are always accompanied by a man of, of some sort. And uh, finally, one, the, the regular starts uh, talking to them, um, welcoming to, to the place. Um, when another man starts uh, sort of flirting with them and asking if they have husbands. And um, he's sort of like uh, this guy, Richard. Uh, he's a womanizer, and he sort of like aggressively asserts himself as, you know, they, they need protection or else they're not women. And uh, he will he will be there. He will protect them, whatever that means. And um, it's it's sort of it's very um, icky feeling the, yeah. the interaction. But the women's completely rejected, and they're not they they're they're clearly uh, there's some sort of dramatic irony building where it's like clearly these these women are special of some sort. You know we we, we know how how these things work out. And um, they say I I know this place is gonna be terrible. Maybe we should try a, another continent. And so everyone starts everyone in the, in the pub is confused. What, what does that mean? And they just continue talking to each other. Um, Say that there's usually some like interesting things here, but but uh, you know all, all the people here are are terrible, and they're sort of talking. There's sort of implication that they might be like looking for someone else. She does like the really primitive places, doesn't she? She has to only way she can stay sane. So they're 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 talking about some other one, and then they imply that they are both gods, um, <laughs> uh, and that they the are godhood. playing with uh with with humans as immortals as as pawns and just for funsies. Um, they knock out Richard without even looking at him. Um, and when the, uh, bartender starts yelling at them for asking what they did, um, they wipe the memories of everyone present and then get off the, the planet. Um, hopefully the next system will be better. So sort of like implying that they are, uh, interplanetary gods of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, this this story kind of blew me away. I mean, I love the dialogue going in, and like, and like in the beginning, I I wasn't really sure where the story was building to, but I think just the characterization done through the dialogue was just what really kept me me reading. And then as more tidbits about this godhood, about them <laughs> basically looking at at these other people more not as people but more so as as pawns a a lot of questions started to to get raised and i think the ending is spectacularly zany and i mean it totally came out of out of nowhere but i am unsure of where else this this story could have could have possibly done and yeah, I mean, this this story does definitely raise more more questions than answers, but in a really good way that that kept me reading throughout. So fantastic job. Um, yeah. So what it, what I think is is interesting about it is right just by the convention of having two two people you wouldn't expect in a bar, right? And, mm-hmm. and the they are clearly special in some ways, and they're very confident. We could tell, you know, because this is a fictional story. Like they have reason to be confident, and everyone in this room is, is stupid for not recognizing it, and uh, so that kind of just that that builds up a dramatic irony to me. So so I didn't expect them to be gods necessarily, but I did expect them to, to be something. To have to have no trouble at all with with the people in this room, mm-hmm. uh, and and so that was I was excited to see that fulfilled, and so that I, I think that's a really good use of of, of tropes, and um, that made the story even better. So thank you so much. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, all right. Up next is by No Goodbye with Escort Mission. My favorite. So one. here, <laughs> this, your favorite kind of mission. My favorite kind of mission. You know, hey, right. take take this robot across this this mountain. But oh no, there are seven RPGs. I love it. What? Have there you are, never what you played m- XCOM? Set, wait, what do you mean by seven RPGs? RPG. Well, like people with RPGs. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I just, no. I was just picturing like seven role-playing games. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, so you so you have to like basically play with this robot through every single last RPG and then I yeah, the end, I thought it might be like a Final Fantasy sort of reference Ooh. or something. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, so this story, uh, it, it, it works with tropes very well, right? We, we set up that uh-huh. there is a princess, a former princess, Princess Myra, um, and uh, Noel is this uh, rogue that's been tasked to um, bring her, you know, outside of um, the kingdom where, where she is now being hunted um, post a revolution or something. Um, and uh, there's the princess's trusted bodyguard uh, named Lady Cora. So this is sort of like a Brienne of Tarth sort of character, right? A very strong mm-hmm. um, woman. And uh, together, the three of them have been traveling. Noel has been backing Lady Cora, and they've been fighting, and, and Lady Cora is built up to be a really great fighter. And uh, But Lady Cora does not trust him at all <laughs> and uh, uh, knows that he's just a mercenary here to be paid. And Noel is sort of like flirting with uh, Myra, and Lady Cora clearly doesn't like it. Uh, and so that's that's been going on for a while. But finally, they are they are at a camp pretty close to to where they need to go. And he sort of gets in, he starts an argument with her, saying that after all this time, you won't trust me to to keep watch uh, still, e- even though the princess trusts me. Do you not trust the princess? Um, her own judgment. Uh, he he's finally like insults her. And then she laughs um, <laughs> after after the arguments sort of escalated, which is never a good sign. And then finally, uh, she reveals that um, she knows um, that he's actually been be- betraying them the, 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 this whole time. That the the path they've been going is a wrong one, um, and that he's been slowly leading them to to some other place, and that uh, he plans to sell them off. And being found out, he realizes that oh, okay, he's been found out, and this is our reveal because we didn't actually know that he was a bad guy. We, we at first when the argument starts, we just think that she is being over paranoid, mm-hmm. uh, but then she she just gets him, um, and uh, they have some more conversation, and, and he says that th- this is gonna break the poor girl's heart. He starts getting ready to fight her, and uh, she doesn't even grab her her sword. She just summons fire to her hands. <laughs> And we're like, ah, oh, fuck, this guy's so dead. She's an X-Men. So, yeah, uh, this this was a really, really great story. I mean, I think one of the, one of the biggest things that, that really caught me was this world building. Um, I, I love being being thrown into this very foreign world and, like, meeting these very likable characters that, that are going solely based off of these tropes. But there's also um, a spin being being taken on onto them. Um, and I think the the tension of the distrust against the 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 rogue was done really well throughout i mean at at first i uh, found myself wondering well well why does well why does she dis distrust him so so much i mean maybe he he seems like a shady character but i couldn't see a a real reason why so so that when it is re revealed that he was the bad guy the 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 whole time it like definitely just like set a light off in in my mind and i was really in invested to uh, see what what happens next but but i think a really cool thing about this story is that there are two different reveals one is one is revealed to us and then the other is revealed to the rogue within what uh her her power really is so I mean, overall, I just I just really dug this a uh, story, and I think it's it, it is written very well, and it's definitely a um, must read for this week. So fantastic job! Yeah, um, I think playing with those tropes, the the sort of expectations that come with oh the bodyguard who doesn't trust the the rogue, and and the way that those are subverted in this is is really well done. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Well, all right, our last story for this week is by Matt said words with Queen to A five. Yes, finally a chess short story. This is why apparently um, this is also some some creative nonfiction mm-hmm. um, where the uh, I mean the there's a sort of a dreamlike event that happens and that's not necessarily true, but um, the rest is. Okay, so nice. Jose Raul Capablanca um, is in Manhattan and uh, um, we find out that his doctor is telling him that his hypertension is really high. He's supposed to reduce his anxiety and stress. 
Um, but he goes to the uh, chess club um, for some some casual games, uh, where his friend Doctor Eli Moskowitz um, or Moskowitz is uh, facing a a 17 year old boy who's who's beating him real easy. He's gonna beat the the doctor in three moves. And there's some really great interaction here where Capablanca puts down um, the doctor's king and the doctor's like, no, what are you doing? And he writes it again. And it, <laughs> it, it's really it's really well done. Um, some some wonderful dialogue here. When then suddenly, uh, uh, and he starts taking off his coat, when then suddenly Alexander Alakine, the current world champion, uh, shows up. And he, there's a flashback where Jose remembers his, his facing off with um, Alexander. Apparently they had... Uh, 32 games, 25 of which ending in a draw, before finally Alec Hine won six times. And uh, and that was a move 82 of that game. So that's that's a ludicrous, you know, really long <laughs> fight, that. Um, and that was 15 years ago, and uh, they'd never been able to have a rematch. But finally he's shown up, and they're going to have... Um, they're going to have that rematch uh, against the Chess Machine, which was the name for Capablanca. So they, they start the fight... Uh, they don't really talk to one another. Alakine's basically silent. Everyone in the room is silent. And they start facing off. And um, Capablanca is completely focusing on the game. Nothing else can distract him. And uh, there's that thought that comes into his mind again. Uh, Your hypertension is dangerously high, his doctor says to him. And he's he's completely focused. He remembers his when his father um, tried to do an illegal move when he was playing against him. And uh, they his... his father was was okay with it and it's like a fond memory until finally alexander says his last move queen to a5 and that was the same move that that got him all all those years ago uh, the same one that 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 destroyed him and uh he can't help but remember it it's it's haunted him for 15 years and, and this is what got him again and so he looks at Alex- alexander and together they look uh, across the room where there is a a man in a blue uniform, a black boots, officer's hat hanging from his knee. Uh, playing him is a four-year-old boy saying, You cannot move there, Papa, says the boy. His father, observing the boy for a moment, nods and concedes the game, handing the boy his king. And in Spanish says, Good job, son. Now it is bedtime. And that's the end of, of that story. And, and, and following that, there's a sort of uh, addendum saying, uh, giving a report about Jose Raul Capablanca, yeah, uh, who died in the hospital from he's in a, in a coma and has extreme hypertension um, he went to the to, he was sent to the ambulance and he was observed um, looking at a chess game and asking for help when his coat when he just collapsed um, the next day he is dead uh, from a hemorrhage in his brain mm. so yeah I mean honestly this is like a really really well well written and well thought out story through and through i wasn't expecting this sort of very rich slower slower story but i just really fell in in love with these characters even even when we went back uh, back in their history and learned about how this sort of rivalry has sort of budded over over the um, years i just really thought that it was all very rich and it was all very natural you know um throughout i i was really interested in the mindset of this main character and like sort of how all of these different e events sort of have enriched him up and up into this at uh, this point uh, something that I am actually pretty interested in is um, how much of this is fiction and and how much is is nonfiction. That this story has fan fantastic promise for a second edit, and I think um, by keeping the uh, the pacing and uh, really continuing this sort of enriched storytelling, this could definitely be something great. So amazing job. Yeah, it's um, honestly this is this is a like a pretty perfect story mm-hmm. um, where uh, everything's fulfilling for this this sort of purpose of um, it, it it wraps around so so well. There's uh, like three different little little setups and, and payoffs that, that I can see in here. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty brilliantly done. So so really good job, Matt Edwards. Mm-hmm, exactly. Well, all right. Thank you so much to everyone who who did the right thing this this week, and we want to say a good old do the right thing shout out to y'all. So thank you very much too. Words on the wind. Uh, thank you to Nick. Do you? 
Thank you. No goodbye. Thank you. Matt said words. And and we also want to say give a do the right thing. Thank you to everyone who did. Uh, submit a comment leaving two or or more comments not only helps you understand your your own work deeper but you're also providing someone else with with great feedback so so thank you very much to words words on the wind matt matt said words ace of sword and nick to you thank you so much for leaving comments yeah we really really do appreciate that Mm mm-hmm if you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to, to do the right thing, you can do that by going to Reddit. All you have to do is go to slash r slash do the right thing, click the the latest week, sit down for 30 minutes, and write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words. It really is a good way to practice, so if you haven't done it in a while, um, we will absolutely welcome you back. Um, and, and we really do appreciate everyone who uh, takes the time to do that every way. I, I can really see some improvement with with a lot of writers. Mm-hmm. So definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. So really, really great job, everyone. If you want to to keep up up to date to everything, do the right thing. You can do that by following us on our Twitter, which is at Right Thing Cast. Um, you can also follow the Doof Media Twitter, which is at Doof Media, to find out all the the, the cool things that are going on. Um, such as uh, the do for the right thing contest. Woo! So that's kind of the big thing that's 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 going on. We mentioned last week, and we'll keep mentioning it as we go. Um, that uh, you can submit um, your stories to. Um, you you can edit any story that you've written basically in the, in the past couple months leading up to the deadline, which is uh, December fourteenth. Um, edit your story, keep it under two thousand words, and submit it. Uh, submit it for our patrons to, to vote on and uh, to get a, a chance to win some cash prizes with the, the, the first prize being $100, second $75, and the third $25, which is pretty significant to me. I know. Um, that's, that's some serious ca- cashola. And uh, we'll, we will read all three stories on the podcast for, for a special episode. Um, unless if you don't want that, you can also write that in if you don't want that to be the case. <laughs> um. And we'll, we'll we'll talk about them some more. So we're really excited for that, and we really just relish the opportunity for everyone to edit their stories, um, and and see what like wonderful you know final products these things can get with um, some more attention. Exactly, and and also if you want to send us a, a message, whether whether you want us to uh, read some of your work and uh, provide you with with feedback, if you if you want to just tell us about about what you think of the uh, podcast or. Or anything under the sun, you can contact us by sending us a a email, which is which is rightthinkcast at gmail.com. That's right. And if you want to send in uh, those stories for the contest, just make sure you have um, do for the right thing uh, contest or DT, DTWT contest number two uh, in in the header, and as you send it to uh, doofmedia at gmail.com. Definitely, definitely. So, Matthias, what is happening in Doof Media? Uh, well, one is that is that wonderful contest, but there's so much else. I actually recently guested on uh, the Doofcast mm-hmm, to talk about two short stories, um, t- to talk about um, uh, Ken Liu's The Paper Menagerie and actually George R. R. Martin's um, Portraits of His Children. Uh, so two really great short stories, one a bit longer than the other. Actually, the, the, the Paper Menagerie you can read online. It's only like a, a couple pages long and it's really good and uh, overall the themes were about like parenthood and things like that um it was a really great discussion and uh i really had I, I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk about these stories nice 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 well all right it is time to announce next week's words which are can i get a drum roll real quick matthias um and i want a real drum roll Sudden that gets my heart pumping my legs shaking my body numbing you put so much pressure on me, and I, I, I can't, I can't perform under these conditions. Well, you better perform, Matthias. What if I just rub the the microphone a little bit? Yeah, do it, do it, do it for me. I love how I can't hear it, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty. It's really, it's really good. I hope everyone enjoyed that. Uh, uh, and if you didn't, uh, send us send us an email and, and tell me to stop doing that. What if I lick the microphone? Ooh, yeah. Oh no, actually, you should like spit on it. Just. I'll do that next time. <laughs> okay, you just did it, so I think we're good. All right, can we just end this episode? Uh, what are so so keeping in mind that the the challenge this week is revenge. What are the words for this? Week? Next week's words are forestry, B, slow and terminal. Ah, terminal. 
So uh, forestry, as in uh, the act of, um, was it taking care of forests yes. or, or just like cutting them down? It's the, it's um, the act of like a forest upkeep. Or you can, you know, use that word however else and, and make it mean something else. Mm-hmm. A bee, as in the little buzzing animal. Um, uh, <laughs> a buzzy little bee. That scientists still don't know how it can fly. Um, <laughs> Wait, do they not? No, it's a. This is the first line in the B movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, um, slow, as in something is uh, not moving very fast, or someone can be slow, which is an insult, calling them dumb. Mm. Uh, and terminal, as in the ending point, mm. a terminal point. So it could be the terminal um, cancer. Terminal, yeah, something that also ends in death. also a uh, bus terminal. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a stopping point for the bus, or a computer terminal, which is like an entry point into. Um, the internet, basically. And then also, uh, ne- next week, we will be reading Death and the Soldier by Eugene Fields. And, of course, y'all will be writing stories that include revenge. Mm-hmm. All right, Jarvis, what's uh, what's your story? So my so my revenge story next week is is going to be about this, this kid that I uh, used to know named, named Timmy. Now Timmy was was a very much so a like nature guy. He he loved camping. He he loved slow hikes up mountains. He he loved the deep valley low and uh, and he and he really did like taking care of the forest. He he felt him him himself sort of a forester. Yeah, he he really liked forests. This is this is this is, but. <laughs> Would you say that he liked forestry? Mm, I could, but I think he's a forester. So, okay. <laughs> so, but but you see, here is where Timmy messed up. You see, Timmy started talking to a girl that I really liked. Now you know I'm I'm not the jealous type, and of course I was better than Timmy in every way, shape, form, form or fashion. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm Jarvis, right? But okay. Um. He did a cardinal sin. He he got her her number before I got it. So, okay. So I knew it was on. I I knew that I had to terminate Timmy at at, That's, at any that, toss. Okay. Okay. So so I did the long con. I went to his to his birthday f- party. Got to know his his family. Figured out where where he lived, where he slept. Does his bed face north, south, east, or west? How <laughs> close is the nearest window to where he lays his bed down? I learned all this, but the best tidbit was that Timmy was allergic. To bees. Okay. So I waited. I waited and I waited till prom night. Because okay. I knew this this is when Timmy will put up will put forth his best moves. And all it took was one tiny little bee in his tiny little spike punch. <laughs> and then he knocked it back, swallow and then cough. <laughs> cough, cough, cough. Until his throat completely closed, man. Oof, you should have seen him turning red and purple and all kinds of blue. Well, while he was gasping for life, guess what I did? I I sauntered up to that girl that I liked, and I got that number. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you were slow dancing with her. Oh. (laughs) Well, see... I wanted to, but I don't really have any game, and I kind of wanted to get out of there because uh, I did just almost kill a man. So a man. <laughs> so um, <sighs> wow, what a what an incredible story. Thank you, um, and I hope that does not incriminate me. I I hope I hope it doesn't either. Yeah, because um, it was. I would have fictional. to get a new host. It was fictional. It was fictional. Yeah. Um. Don't don't search a newspaper. Uh, any any newspaper articles for. Timmy and the Bee. Jarvis's prom. Um, well, what about you? Who did you kill? Uh, that's not the story I'll be <laughs> writing. I'll be writing about um, a bee uh, oh. that was it had an illness um, that made it really slow. It made it be uh, nice. its wings would go real slow, so it actually couldn't fly. It could only crawl, um, and that made it really ill-equipped to participate in the uh, bee sort of. Um, occupation of forestry, right? That's that's basically what bees do. They clean up, they make the forest good uh, with the flowers and stuff. 
um, and uh, it led a really uh, boring life, basically crawling from one flower to another, not very effective, until it found out that its disease was terminal, and it died. Oh, wow. Well, I feel sorry for this bee. I mean, was there anything that could have really been done for him, or...? Um, if it, um, well, before it died, it could have done the right thing. Well, what the, what the right thing happened? I'm going to write a story in 30 minutes or less. Oh, and... Using three or four random generators.